our interview of the of the month, Tony Park. Hello, Rod. Tony, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I can't wait to jump into this, but first I'm going to, just in case there's anybody out there that doesn't know you, a, a real brief intro. You're representing tonight pharmacy law. So Tony is both a pharmacist and a lawyer, graduated from UOP for pharmacy and Thomas M. Cooley Law School for law. If you've been around a while, you know that Tony uh, was the OCPHA president six presidents ago and currently uh, remains on our board of directors as our legal secretary. And about nine and a half years ago, uh, Tony started up the California Pharmacy Lawyers Law Firm and uh, is the principal attorney with them. It's a law firm devoted entirely to pharmacy law. I'm sure it's the premier one, not only in California, probably in the world that does that. Hopefully, if any of you do encounter needs for uh, lawyer help in the future, you should definitely uh, keep in mind CPL. And on the on the side, Tony does a few other things. He's general counsel for CPHA. He's legal counsel for the Korean American Pharmacist Association. And he teaches pharmacy law, as far as I know, at UOP and Western U and maybe other places. Um, that's my brief intro, Tony. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very yeah. glad to do so. The starting yeah. question, and I, I know you could spend a half an hour on this, but if you could just be real brief, uh, tell us your journey from UOP Pharmacy School to what you do today. Yep, uh, I will be brief as it is uh, some that that it's kind of an interesting series of twists and turns where really the moral of my story is I had no idea that I would ever find myself in pharmacy, let alone pharmacy law. Um, I was well on my path towards uh, being a, uh, a typical starving musician. And while I was at UOP, I wasn't even a pharmacy major to, be, to start with. I was a music performance major specializing in violin performance. Um, not until I befriended a viola player who happened to be a professor at the School of Pharmacy on the other side of the campus that I really think about pharmacy for the first time. Um, and quite frankly, it was probably a better option given that Bart Attending was the other fork in the road for me at that time. Fortunately, I graduated UOP Pharmacy School. I was not the best student, I admit, um, but I, I passed, and I think thankfully I passed the exam uh, back in the day when it was actually a one and a half day live exam in this ginormous conference hall in the Bay Area. Bay Area. I, I practiced pharmacy. I started my career as a chain drugstore pharmacy manager, PIC. Um, did that for about a year until I kind of got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, and I decided at that time to open a, a compounding only pharmacy, which back in the day, we're talking late 90s, um, it was really not a heard of, uh, maybe a handful of compounders in the state of California. Um, and I thought, hey, this is a really cool idea. Um, and I plunged with both feet in and started the Park Compounding Pharmacy in Westlake Village, California. I sold it eventually, and I'll get to that in a minute, in a minute here. But then after I kind of uh, you know, established the compounding pharmacy, um, I found myself kind of in this repeated entrepreneurial pattern where I created startup ventures in within the realm of pharmacy, but not necessarily a typical pharmacy practice. So where my first pharmacy business was a compounding only pharmacy with, you know, with being one of the first sterile compounders also in the state of California, I then created a Hispanic community pharmacy in the city of Oxnard and then capped it off with a hemophilia home care company. Uh, which had a variety of subdivisions, including a specialty pharmacy wholesaler, uh, a patient advocacy, uh, patient care, home care com company, and uh, a billing and reimbursement agency service. I'm To this day, I look back and think, how in the world did I go through that? I'm not quite sure. I was just there at the right place at the right time. 
find myself just kind of fulfilling needs as they were presented to me in my work and practice. I did. So I practiced pharmacy for probably a total of about 12 years until I had my fill. And that's really the best way to describe it. I wasn't uh, dismayed or, or, or discouraged from pharmacy. I just had my fill of pharmacy. And I thought, what can I do now? And I don't know why, but law came up into my mind. And so I sold all my businesses, moved to Michigan, where I attended an accelerated two-year law school program at Western Michigan University. And then I came back to California and I've been practicing pharmacy law since. And so that's kind of a very, very twisted and turny uh, sequence in, in, in my road uh, toward my current profession. That's how I came to be. Well, you definitely touched a lot of bases there, all of which I'm sure um, contribute to the knowledge <laughs> that you uh, you give people in need of legal help now. So speaking of legal help, we're, we're starting a new year. There's a lot of new laws. I know you, you teach the class on new laws a couple of times a year. Um, what interesting things are happening in, in the world of pharmacy law right now that uh, our mainstream group should know about? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's lots of uh, changes in law every year. Uh, and if you look historically, the California Pharmacy Law Book uh, for the past 10 years in a row has always gotten a little bit bigger every single year, which basically means that you are personally more responsible every single year for not only knowing the, the latest changes in law, but also implementing in your respective place of practice. So, but uh, given that, there are a couple of highlights that I think are definitely worth mentioning. I think one in particular is the fact that Cures, uh, the, the California Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, is undergoing some pretty radical changes where uh, Atlantic Associates is, is no longer going to give you the subcontracted private vendor to handle all the data when it comes to your cures upload. upload. Uh, so for those of you that are responsible for your respective pharmacies compliance for the cures data uploads, just know that Atlantic Associates is no longer the company. Fortunately, we're still in the grace period, but you should definitely talk to your software vendor to make sure that your data gets pointed in the right direction. Um, and there's always new laws when it comes to, uh, there seems to be this recent sort of trend within the past couple of years to implement more protections for staff employee pharmacists, especially in chain drugstores. Um, and I think the very first law, uh, first there was this whole notion of a staff pharmacist being able to leave for a 30 minute lunch break. I mean, actually leave the, the pharmacy four walls. Whereas before this, you know, this is a couple of years ago, where before this new law, uh, you as a staff pharmacist is in a chain drugstore, you were pretty much tethered to your pharmacy and you were not able to leave because of the fact that if you left, everybody needed to leave too and you had to shut down the entire operation. There was that. And then, the, and then uh, more recently, there were some, some um, uh, labor protection efforts to allow a solo pharmacist, again, in a chain drugstore, uh, to the extent they find themselves alone with no other help. The law says that their employer must now uh, have the ability to provide a helper within no, no more than five minutes of the pharmacist who's working by themselves asking for the help. And what a radical shift and a change in the, the culture and the dynamic of staff and pharmacists in chain drugstores, where now I think they, they, the goal is obviously in the interest of patient safety and patient care. The, the idea is because you know staff pharmacists are at being asked to do more and more and more things without necessarily getting the uh, the, the required or, or the uh, the necessary help and the ancillary support from other staff members, um, pharmacists are, are kind of going out alone. Um, the law is now actually being a lot more proactive and stepping in to do what it can to protect staff pharmacists to have slightly better working conditions. Um, again, not necessarily to make a life better for staff pharmacists, but the thinking is if staff pharmacists are um, have you know more breathing time, then they then they can actually focus more of their time, labor, and energy into caring for patients. That's another new exciting series of developments. 
There's also, you know, um, you know, changes with regards to controlled substances in the sense that uh, controlled substances, I think that there isn't necessarily new regulations, but in terms of the enforcement of the existing rules, uh, the Board of Pharmacy has really upticked the enforcement severity and scope uh, where pharmacists, uh, staff pharmacists, PICs, and the pharmacies are all getting wrangled in, in a series of very aggressive enforcement action um, in those times where the Board of Pharmacy believes that uh, so-called red flags of corresponding responsibility were either flat out ignored or not sufficiently re- uh, resolved before the controlled substance is dispensed to the patient. So, and that's just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, as you said uh, <clears throat> just a minute ago, I, I do give um, a kind of every single year a, a series of new laws updates, uh, whether it be myself uh, or with Ann Sodergren, the, the executive director of the Board of Pharmacy, uh, there's, there's always new stuff coming around. Um, and, and even during the middle of the calendar year, there's always new laws and regulations that come into play where quite frankly, um, unless you're a lawyer like me, it's virtually impossible to keep up with all the latest changes in law, uh, which kind of begs the question, how in the world is supposed to be, is a busy pharmacist that works full time in a pharmacy operation supposed to keep up with the law? The answer is, I'm not quite sure to be frank. And yet I can tell, tell you definitively that the agency that has jurisdictional authority over your license as a pharmacist absolutely expects you at the moment the law becomes live and affected for you to not only know the law, but also follow it to, to the letter of the law. Uh, so as they say, ignorance of the law is no excuse and nowhere is it more true than dealing with the California State Board of Pharmacy. So the law about electronic uh, prescribing being somewhat mandatory just from working these past 10 days myself i haven't seen much of a change they're still coming in with paper yeah that's that that's a, that is a really good example well let me step back the new law that you just referred to was the mandatory electronic prescribing of all prescription orders from all prescribers in california the the way that the law was supposed to work was that really in, in an in in an effort by the state legislature to drive the electronic prescription uh, trans, transmissions from the prescriber directly to the pharmacy for all the various benefits, such as decreased forge prescriptions, uh, efficiency and, and convenience for the patient, mainly for safety and security reasons, because forged prescriptions, quite frankly, are a real problem and not just for controlled substances. And so the theoretical thinking and the initial thought behind this new law was, hey, we're going to, because the prescriber community has been, quite frankly, uh, been doing a pretty bad job of getting together or getting, you know, keeping up with the times with emerging technologies, uh, we're going to force the prescriber community to step up and make them transmit their ele- prescriptions electronically to pharmacies. That was the initial thought. Now, as the case with every law that comes into uh, the state, to, you know, grab the attention of the state legislature, this one actually was lobbied uh, quite extensively, as you can imagine, by the prescriber community, where now uh, the prescribers, uh, they're subject to a bunch of loopholes where they're, they're excused a lot of the time. From our perspective, from the pharmacist's perspective, and I think this is, again, a good example of a law that had some potential profound effect on healthcare, generally speaking. At the end of the day, from the perspective of a pharmacist, it didn't change. It has not changed one single thing. The reason why is because the law specifically says to pharmacists, hey, pharmacists, you know, know that this new law is here. Make sure that your pharmacy has the ability, technologically and security-wise, anyway, to be able to receive uh, prescriptions from uh, prescribers electronically, but you are always still going to be allowed to accept all the prescription orders in every single way that you ever have before, before this new law took into effect. Uh, 
So although a lot of pharmacists were very much up in arms and very worried and quite anxious about, oh my gosh, does this mean that I have to police prescribers and have to like tattletale on them and then rat them out to the to the you know, medical board or the respective agency if they don't prescribe via electric uh, electronically? No, not at all. Uh, the Board of Pharmacy does not expect anything uh, different by way of behavior from pharmacists and pharmacies as compared to times past before this law could take into place. I would think it, I think you know it would be nice to see a decrease in paper prescriptions and for, and, and verbal orders and fax prescriptions. But I don't think that's what's really being seen out there in real world. I think, quite frankly, prescribers are still sort of warming up to this idea. And even though they are legally mandated to prescribe electronically and transmit them electronically, I'm not really sure how effective this new law is taking place. So, Tony, what uh, advice would you give to someone who may want to follow your footsteps, either a student or a pharmacist or, or put it this way? What type of person should try and follow your footsteps? That's a great question. And, and I really wish that there was some sort of like a, a checklist or a laundry list of, of personality or character attributes that I could say, aha, if you've got these six things, then go for it and go to law school. That's not the case at all. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I currently know and had a personal uh, hand in, um, I guess, encouraging, uh, I think about five uh, pharmacy students that, that are in various stages of a couple of them already graduated from law school, but, you know, taking an interest in law. And they're all over the place in terms of personality type, in terms of character attributes, in terms of personal values and ethics and their career goals. For me, all I can say is I knew that there were some major problems in pharmacy. And I knew looking around that there weren't that many people working with my peers and colleagues as pharmacists to help them out whenever the Board of Pharmacy, the DEA attacked, the FDA, CMS, HHS, DHCS, you know, the, the alphabet soup of the acronyms of governmental agencies that can do bad stuff to your license. And seeing that, I thought this is a real opportunity because I can you know, help out my friends and do something to, uh, to push back and, and fight the man, so to speak. And I have to tell you from a personal standpoint, that was very appealing to fight the government, to fight the man, so to speak, was really like, that's kind of a cool thing to do. Um, and that is in fact what I do you know, most of the time on a daily basis is I fight the government trying to protect my and help my friends and my colleagues who are pharmacists and pharmacy owners. Um, you know, if that appeals to you, then yeah, talk, you know, we should talk. Um, if, if you're not quite sure, or if you have no inclination whatsoever to heap on three more years of student debt as a law school student, but you still have some interest in some, um, and some, uh, and, and the idea of regulatory compliance of following rules, apply, you know, appeals to you, there are still plenty of opportunities as a, uh, compliance officer or a regulatory compliance pharmacist or a compliance pharmacist or a pharmacist consultant. There's lots of opportunities with your PharmD degree to get into this field called compliance. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what that means. I think that the term gets, gets tossed around, quite frankly, much, much too loosely and easily. But from my perspective, the word compliance means there are a set of rules imposed by either the government or a non-governmental agency, such as a private insurance or PBM, for example, who have a set a list of expectations and performance metrics that you are required to abide by. And as a compliance officer or a consultant pharmacist, whatever the case may be, your job is to look at the actual performance of your client compared to the rubric, which is, which is usually fairly well you know, spelled out, um, and see how they match. And to the, to the extent they don't match, you perform what's called a gap analysis to explain in a written form usually what you saw, why it doesn't comport with what is expected of their performance. And then you basically walk through and help the client get up to the speed so that they are compliant. It's as simple as that. It's nothing really fancy. It's you know the rules, 
observe behavior and match the two or you call out those the, the things that don't match. That's really in a nutshell what compliance is. And as a pharmacist with a PharmD degree, with nothing else, that you can get into that as well. Uh, so, you know, following rules, I guess, uh, or <laughs> I guess in the alternative, figuring out creative ways to get around the rules. That's another, I guess, uh, attribute that might be uh, kind of conducive to, to, to my line of work. Well, it's very inspiring, I know. And I think a lot of people on this call would love to pick your brain and get some free legal advice. Do you think the quota law will end up being a soft law or or will create some <laughs> substantial change? Um, no, I think it's the, the law is here to stay. Um, you know, the, 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 the quota law, uh, for those of you that are not familiar, uh, that was yet another series of uh, efforts by the state legislature to, um, to more you know, proactively help uh, staff pharmacists, um, again, and particularly you know, larger uh, pharmacies such as chain drugstores, where performance metrics, where you have to fill X number of scripts per hour or you know, uh, give so many vaccinations per unit of time, uh, the state legislature back in uh, September, it, this kind of came out of left field, to be honest. Um, I'm not really quite sure. I'm not too intimately familiar with the history behind this, but there's a new law that was signed into law by Governor Newsom in September of 2021, which basically says that employers of a certain size, and namely chain drugstores, are not allowed to force performance metrics or quotas. I, they don't use the word performance metrics. They use the word quotas. But the definition of quota is so broad and so all-encompassing that uh, I can't imagine any existing performance metric being somehow falling out or, or being exempted from the definition of quota, the thing that is being expressly prohibited for the very first time by this new law that, that took effect in September by, Gover by the governor. Which means that, and not only that, the, the law goes further saying that the employers can't even talk about quotas, can't even mention quotas. So, you know, I guess in anticipation of kind of like a wink, wink, you know, type of a nod and a wink type of scenario. No, the state, legisl state legislature effectively said, we mean it. We don't like quotas. Now, I think one of the thought processes behind eliminating quotas was that pharmacists were either positively incentivized to perhaps uh, spend less quality time with patients, maybe cut corners to try to make their numbers look better. And on the flip side, the other pharmacists felt that they were being punished if they spent too much time doing something that they believed in the professional judgment was warranted and called for. So I'm not quite sure how this thing's going to play out, but it's, it's a very exciting new turn of events. And I think it shows to me that, you know, I guess California is a, you know, very a progressive state amongst all the states in this country of ours. But I think in the, in the realm of pharmacy, employee rights and uh, protectionism, this is very sweeping. Um, and I'd like to see, uh, you know, I'd like to see with the, at the one year anniversary, how this law has played out in the state. So um, there's a question in the chat room. How did you get involved in OCPHA? Why did you continue to stay involved with such a, um, you know, busy job? You know, um, to be honest, I, I, I am not nearly as involved with OCPHA as I have been in the times past, uh, partly due because of COVID, partly due because uh, my wife and I have twin boys that will be turning two years old in a couple of weeks here. Uh, so my attention and focus, if not at work, has been at home. You know, I, I got involved with OCPHA because, quite frankly, geographically, I, I kind of, once I left Michigan from, from uh, school, law, law school there, I came back and sort of uh, set roots in Orange County. Um, and I knew that I, I, I wanted to get involved back within my profession of pharmacy because since I was out for two years, really having no touch with pharmacy at all. And OCPHA was there. Uh, and at the very first meeting that I attended, Dr. Hada was being sworn in as the then president. Uh, and he and I got to be friends and we just kind of started hanging out. And then I generally liked the people that were there. 
And so um, next thing you know, I'm being voluntold to be the president. I'm like, okay, I can, yes, I can do that. Um, and so I, and since then I've been sort of, sort of kind of, I, I guess best description at least now is I've been lingering around, sort of hovering around the association, not necessarily getting directly involved as much as I would like to, uh, but just, you know, doing what I can uh, periodically. Well, thanks for all you've done and continue to do, Tony, and, and really appreciate you coming on. I wish we had another hour. We could really keep picking your brain because I have lots of questions that I always have. But thank you so much, Tony. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, everybody. 